Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the Buddha. I think that at times we get caught up talking about the Buddha too much in Buddhism. I think we need to remember that this isn't about his spiritual journey. It's about yours. But at the same time, I was thinking about how I'm going to talk about where the Zen tradition comes from, and I can't really sidestep talking about the Buddha. So I'm going to talk about him, but more importantly, I'm going to talk about what he figured out because it's what he figured out that's important. Okay. So the Buddha lived about 2,500 years ago, give or take, and he came from a really wealthy and powerful family. Uh, Some people say the Buddha was a prince. That's not a hundred percent accurate, but his family was very wealthy and powerful. And So what he had was everything he ever wanted. He grew up as a spoiled child. And he discovered as he entered adulthood that he wasn't all that happy. He wasn't all that happy. Um, His name, by the way, his name was not the Buddha. That is a title. His name is Siddhartha Gautama. Siddhartha Gautama. He... The Buddha's a title he he gave himself, I guess. It means the awakened one. But his name was Siddhartha. And Siddhartha is living in a palace with his parents. And he has a beautiful wife. He had an arranged marriage. And he's he should be happy. He's got everything. And he's going to inherit all of his father's wealth, his father's kingdom, when his father passes away. So he should be super happy, but he's not. He's sort of asking big questions like, why do we exist? What's going on in the world? Who am I? Those these big questions that we might wrestle with sometimes. And he the story gets told that he didn't that his father hid from him fundamental realities about life, that he didn't know about sickness, aging and death. I don't think that's true at all. I think that's a a fictional story that gets told to make the story of the Buddha more powerful. And people might be mad at me for saying that, but I don't think that story is true at all. But the fact of the matter is that he started, as he entered adulthood, he was thinking, why is there suffering and death? That's the point. Why is there suffering and death? Why do we struggle so much in our lives? He started asking those kinds of questions, and he decided that he could not stay in the palace in this comfortable life because he wanted to find the truth about these things. He was... He was inspired to be a spiritual seeker and he explored the religions of his day a little bit and he didn't find what he was looking for there. The religion of his day was kind of um, hostile to science, mean to minorities, that sort of thing. Just, uh, and really clickish and really, um, elitist. The religion of his day was really elitist and hostile to science against minorities. Uh, kind of 
sexist too, put women in their place, all that sort of stuff that we wouldn't want in our religion, right? So he was turned off by this. So he went, he abandoned his life. He left the palace and he went to the woods, to the forest, because he heard there were people who were practicing strange religions in the forest. So he went there to see if he could find out something, because again, the religion of his day disappointed him. So he goes to the forest and he finds people living in the forest practicing spirituality like shamans like we might think of hermits you go to the mountain to see like people out there practicing spirituality they're doing yoga they're they're doing what would become yoga and they're doing other breathing practices a lot of strange things and he learns a bunch of spiritual practices from some different teachers out there so again, to reiterate, he learned from the mainstream religion and didn't find what he was looking for. So he goes out to the woods. I keep saying woods, but to the forest and tries to practice kind of the weird religions that people don't talk about much. Right. And even then he still. Although he got felt he got more benefit from it, he still didn't find what he was looking for. So. He tried a practice that involves starving himself. And sort of like staying awake for many days at a time and starving himself to try to get some kind of spiritual awakening. And that didn't work. But ultimately, one day, he just sat under a tree and he said, well, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to try to clear my mind. I'm going to try to do these meditation practices. And I'm going to try to just be fully present with my experience. And I'm going to see what happens. going to see what happens. This is This is very important because... The Buddha, the one who would become the Buddha, regular guy, right? He's a regular guy, and he just, just like you and me, and he just decides he's going to figure out realities about human life. And that is important because our nature is awakening. His nature was awakening, and he didn't know that until he started doing a really diligent practice. Our nature, we have the same nature as him. Our nature is awakening. And if we really practice diligently, we can see our true nature too, like he did. We can see our true nature too, like he did. So uh, the story is he found his true nature. He attained enlightenment. And he had lots of adventures. He had lots of students and lots of adventures. But I'm not going to go into those much because I want to talk about his teaching now. The Buddha is sometimes described as like a doctor. And that's because he saw the suffering that we experience in life as like an ailment that needs to be treated. His original core teaching which is called the Four Noble Truths, is like a medical diagnosis. I don't usually like to talk about the Four Noble Truths because I think that people have this... If people know just a little bit about Buddhism, then they know about the Four Noble Truths, and they might have this misperception that Buddhism is very negative, which it is not. But because the Four Noble Truths are kind of hard to talk about, kind of hard to understand, sometimes um, I can see why people get that misconception, and I don't like having to go to great lengths to tell them why Buddhism's not negative. So 
So I don't always like to talk about the Four Noble Truths. That being said, here they are. The first noble truth is that life is bitter and painful. Life is bitter and painful. Uh, we could also say life is hard. People, some, some people like to say life is suffering. That's the number one main translation for this word, which is dukkha. Dukkha is the original word, but the main translation for it is life is suffering. But really, his, I mean, we could even say life is uncomfortable or life is filled with discomfort, something like that, right? Uneasy. Life is uneasy. The second noble truth is that craving is the cause of our bitterness and pain. Craving. So what is craving? Craving is wanting things to be different than they are. Uh, Not even just wanting, but wanting very hard, right? Being upset that things aren't different than they are. That is what leads to suffering, okay? The third noble truth is that there is a treatment for this. There is a way to manage the bitterness and the pain of life. There is a way. And the fourth noble truth is the treatment, which is the Eightfold Path. And I want to say, if you don't like lists with numbers, you're going to have a tough time studying Buddhism. So, right, the first noble truth is that we have to recognize that we have a problem. Life's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? And then we need a diagnosis. What's causing our problem? Can it be that a lot of our problems, a lot of our struggles are something we bring on ourselves? Not bring on ourselves. That's not the right terminology. Something we exacerbate, right? We make our problems worse sometimes. I think in terms of my kids, I tell my kids to clean the basement. They don't want to clean the basement. They throw a fit about cleaning the basement and they cry and they yell and they stomp their feet and they're making their lives worse when they could just clean the basement. We can all just clean the basement instead of crying and stomping our feet, right? And then we need to be told that our struggles in life are treatable. It gets better. Or it can. If we can engage the world in a more mindful and awake way, then we're going to be happier. So that's what we're talking about here. And then, lastly, we need a treatment plan. We need a to-do list to help us get better. It'd be hard to do without a plan, right? We suffer because we see the world through what I call the lens of I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I got that from a George Harrison song, but I really like it. We see the world through the lens of this I, me, mine perception, and we aren't present in our experience. Those are the two things that cause us the most problem. We aren't present, 
and we see the world through a selfish, I mean, mine way. We can't solve our issues through the lens of I, me, mine. We have to dig deeper. We have to turn the light inward and put aside our baggage and neuroses in order to accomplish any of this. And with the Eightfold Path that has come down to us, the Buddha has given us some pretty clear guidelines for dealing with our craving and suffering. He saw things about the human condition and he came up with this list, this to-do list and said, you know, if we, if we do these eight things, we're going to suffer less. If we do these eight things, we're going to suffer less. This is not a cure. It's a treatment, right? We're not going to completely end our suffering, but we're going to be on track to suffering less. We're going to be on track to suffering less. And so I'm going to go through these eight now. A lot of time people use the word right for these. And I think that's attaches kind of a moralistic dimension. And that's not correct. In my view, in my view, that's not, it's not moralistic. So I'm going to use the word wise instead. Okay. Um, why? Because I think of right as like, you better do the right thing. And I think of wise as what brings us to making better choices. That's kind of what I think of. Right sounds really moralistic and wise sounds like make good choices, which is what my mom said to me when I was a kid. Make good choices, right? So, first is wise view. Wise view. And that is where we are trying to learn how to put down our baggage and to see the world as it is. So, we want to kind of Stop bringing so much of our views into the way we see things. So we don't really see things as they really are. We see them filtered through the lens of our perception. That is, we're bringing baggage into everything and expectations, and we're putting labeling on, labels on things. And sometimes those labels don't apply, especially to people. If you've ever misjudged someone, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you put a label on something, and you're wrong. Next is wise thought. We want to become aware of our motivations. We want to think about and learn about why we do the things we do. We want to carefully investigate ourselves. If you've ever had the experience where you do something kind of dumb and then you're like, why did I, why did I do that? Or, or another, a really good aspect of this is if you've ever been upset at something and you, you think to yourself, why is this upsetting me? Why is this upsetting me? This shouldn't upset me, right? And then you realize with a little investigation that maybe there's something deeper going on there, right? That's what we're talking about with wise thought. Next is wise speech. And 
with wise speech, uh, there are some things that we want to try to not do so much. Gossip, exaggeration, lies. A lot of people just think wise speeches don't lie, but it's these other things too. Uh, lies by omission, that is leaving out information when you're talking to someone, the information that they would probably want, right? We may think these things aren't important, but we cause a lot of harm with our words and we create drama in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And honestly, drama gets in the way of our spiritual practice, of course. It's distracting. Wise speech encourages us to avoid lies, insults, gossip, and bragging. Instead, we should speak words of comfort and kindness. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. We should speak words of comfort and kindness. I think don't compliment yourself, right? Next is wise action. This is about learning to live an ethical life so we aren't making enemies out of everything all the time. This is usually expressed in what's called the precepts. And uh, this is my own version of the wording of the precepts. If you Google five precepts, you can find them. But this is my own wording because uh, I wanted to make it mostly positive instead of negative. So it's so a list of do's rather than a list of don'ts, but there was a couple of them I couldn't figure out how to do that with as well. But anyway, be nonviolent. Be truthful. Don't steal. Have honest relationships. And... Don't intoxicate the mind and become heedless. Um, I'm going to leave those as they are for now. I may do a talk, a whole talk on the precepts later. I think I will. Um, so I'm going to leave those as they are, but just be nonviolent. Be truthful. Don't steal. Have honest relationships. Don't intoxicate your mind to produce heedlessness. I think those are mostly common sense, aren't they? But the Buddha felt the need to spell it out. So that is training in virtue. Virtue is very important because if we're stealing, if we're picking fights, if we're cheating on our spouse, again, like those bad forms of speech, it creates drama. And if there's drama, we're going to be less able to focus on our spiritual life. Next is wise livelihood. And that is, we should make a living in a way that's honest and honorable. Uh, this is probably a tough one to think about. Make a living in a way that's honest and honorable. I think of, so the Buddha... He was talking about professional killers and, but he was also talking about people that sell poison, people that sell weapons, slave traders. Um, he was kind of against slavery before it was cool, maybe. Um, but those kinds of professions, he said, well, those are not right livelihood. And we can draw a very clear line and say those are harmful, right? But we might, if we, 
think about it, we might think, oh, is my is my career honest and honorable? I don't know. That's something we could spend a lot of time wrestling with. I don't know how honest and honorable my career is. No, I think it's pretty pretty honest and honorable, but some people might disagree. Um, and that could be said of any career, but I'm not going to say we should all become we should all quit our jobs to be therapists and librarians, right? I think we've got to make a living in life. I think um, I always think of when I'm thinking about right livelihood, I think of the movie Pretty Woman. Um, at the beginning, Richard Gere is a, a vulture capitalist. He's taking over companies and breaking them up and ruining people's lives. But then by the end, he's not doing that anymore. And I think of that. He didn't have wise livelihood at the beginning. And I think of, to reference another movie, I think of Iron Man, because at the beginning, he is an arms dealer, and he's selling arms to anyone, and he's not being very conscientious and mindful, and his weapons are going into the wrong hands. And by the end, he decides he's not going to sell weapons at all, right? That's That's a journey from wrong livelihood to wise livelihood for him. And next is wise effort. There are two aspects to this that I'm going to talk about. One is we need to try to stop our bad habits and develop better ones. Try to stop our bad habits and develop better ones. So I think of like healthy habits are mainly what I think of with this. I think of taking the stairs instead of the elevator to get a little extra exercise. I think of, I ate a salad for dinner tonight. I didn't have to eat a salad. I could have had something else. I'm trying to develop good habits and eat salad, right? Um, and it also applies to meditation practice. A good habit to have is regular meditation practice. I could veg out on my couch and watch Netflix or I could spend a little bit of time meditating tonight, right? That is the difference between good habits and bad habits. Not that sitting on my couch watching Netflix is completely bad, but I should be meditating some. And I know I should be. I think of also flossing, because flossing is something that we all know we should be doing for dental care, and most of us aren't doing it. We know we should, and for no reason we're not doing it, right? But another aspect of wise effort is just diligence. Just practice, 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 and don't give up. This is kind of what unites the other eight and says we need to keep doing it even when it's hard, even when we really don't want to. Wise effort is still doing it when we really don't want to. And in that way, we kind of want to make the eight of these things into habits. Into habits. Into We want to practice them enough that they become our default method mode of behavior rather than things we're making ourselves do. Next is wise mindfulness. And that is being present with what's happening. That's how I describe it. Being present with what's happening. So we're stuck in a daydream. A lot of the time we're just moving through life like clouds and we're missing a lot 
we're missing a lot. If you've ever been in a conversation and you realize you're not listening, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We want to learn how to be present. And that is one thing where our meditation practice comes in and helps us. We want to learn how to be present, learn how to focus, especially when we want to. The worst is when we really want to be present and we're not. Like someone we really care about is talking to us and we're daydreaming and we're not present. That's the worst, right? We want to learn how to be present, especially for those instances when we want to. But also, at times, we should try to be present when we don't really want to. We shouldn't use daydreaming as an escape either. And last is wise meditation. And that's described as cultivating a mind that does not move. Cultivating a mind that does not move. That's how I describe it. And what, so that sounds really heavy and sounds like this is the hardest one and the hardest one to talk about too. And what I mean to say is what we're trying to do is learn how to not chase after every thought that comes to mind. We want to have the opportunity to let thoughts come and go. To choose how we're going to respond to the world. Rather than just mindlessly reacting all the time. We can choose what we bring our attention to. We can choose what we focus on. And that's what we want to do. Ultimately. So, um, that was my talk on the Buddha and the Eightfold Path. And I hope it's been helpful. The Buddha wandered around teaching for many, many years. And then he ate some poison food and he died. And he was very sick before he died. And one of his students was his cousin named Ananda. And Ananda said to the Buddha, Do we have to really follow all the rules you set out? And the Buddha said, You can focus on the really important teachings, but the less important ones you can let slide. And then Ananda said, who's going, who's going to lead us now that you're dying? And he said, follow the teachings and be lamps unto yourselves. And then he died. And some people were pretty, pretty upset with Ananda because he didn't ask, well, which teachings are the important ones? He didn't ask that. The Buddha said, follow the important ones, the less important ones you can let slide. And Ananda didn't say, which ones are important? So some people were really mad at him because he was the only one there when the Buddha died. But that is what it is. And the Buddha said, be a lamp unto yourselves. I'm not going to name a successor. 
And in a later podcast, we're going to talk about a guy who was supposedly the Buddha's successor. So um, thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I hope it's been interesting to you. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.